business, marketing is a critical activity that can directly impact growth and profit. Yet with so many options available today, how can you choose the right marketing program for your business? Welcome to I Think I Need Marketing with Bonnie Taylor. If you're looking to better understand marketing, then you've stopped by the right show. Now here is your host, Bonnie Taylor. Hello and welcome to I Think I Need Marketing. This is the radio show that makes marketing approachable and understandable. At least that's our goal. (laughs) I am your host, Bonnie Taylor, and today's episode is focused on digital marketing. I won't be talking about digital marketing alone. I'll be joined later on by global digital marketing expert, Bill Barrett. He knows his stuff, so stay tuned. You definitely want to catch his segment. But before Bill joins us, I want to make sure, as always, we're on the same page. What is digital marketing? Well, it's marketing online. (laughs) I know, I know, you were expecting something more, but oh, very simple definition, marketing online, digital marketing. Digital marketing is an umbrella term, and it refers back to a number of different marketing tools, marketing activities that we use. Odds are you have a few of these already in your marketing program. So digital marketing includes your website. It includes email campaigns, not just your inbox, (laughs) the actual campaigns. It includes social media, search engines, online advertising, digital advertising, podcasts, text messaging, mobile apps, blogs, online brochures, And I could keep going on and on and on. You get the idea. It's anything that you're doing marketing-wise online. Digital marketing is relatively new in terms of marketing as a marketing tool. We haven't had it for 50 years. We haven't had it for 100 years. It's just been around really for the last two to three decades. And started with websites and email. That for a very long time was what we used as our digital marketing program. In 2007, iPhone released the smartphone, and our lives were changed forever. We cannot live without our smartphones now. We look at them to read our email, to check text messages, to check apps, to look on on the internet itself, and just basically let them run our lives. (laughs) In fact, smartphones are such a part of our existence that the estimate is roughly 5 billion people will be using smartphones in 2019. That's quite a big jump and a change in our lifestyles from just the uh, 2007. Businesses love digital marketing. There are a few different reasons for this. The first is that it allows us to track uh, marketing and check the effectiveness of marketing a little bit better than traditional methods. For instance, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, If you have a billboard out, it's really difficult to say exactly how many people who are driving past it look up, read, and comprehend what the billboard says. I mean, how how do we track that? It's it's really, really hard. Uh, There are different ways that we've done it in the past, but we can't do it with 100% accuracy. However, we can track the number of people who click on a digital ad. We can track the number of people who visit our website. We can track the number of people who download our podcast. This sounds absolutely amazing. Finally, we can track things in marketing with accuracy. Oh, wait, hold on. It's not 100%. (laughs) We can't say everybody who has seen our ad, it will be captured by our tracking system. We can't say exactly why somebody left our website. And we can't say somebody listened to necessarily but didn't download or heard about but didn't engage but maybe engaged later on and why there was a delay. And It doesn't give us all of the information. It's not a complete story. But it is more information than we usually get, which is why marketers love it. Another reason why digital marketing is very popular is because a good portion of it has a longer shelf life. If you upload a blog post, for instance, that blog post, with if it's focused on one topic, one keyword phrase, for instance, 
It could have a very long shelf life. It could be searchable for years. Somebody could type in that same phrase, that same title that you focused your your blog post on and find it down the road. So uploaded once, lives a long time. The same thing with your YouTube videos. Your YouTube video, you upload it, and somebody can still access it down the road. They can still share it. They can still send it to friends. They can still see that how-to video and say, you know what, this really is effective. I really like this. And it has a longer shelf life. That's that's pretty powerful because when you think about print ads, for instance, print ad doesn't have that long shelf life. Uh, a direct mail piece may not stick around unless somebody really likes the design, they may put it on their billboard, I mean, I'm sorry, their bulletin board, uh, or hang it up in their office in some form or fashion, but they're not necessarily going to share it constantly. They're not going to be able to send it and email it to a bunch of friends. It's that longer shelf life that's very, very appealing. Not everything has that, of course. Your digital ads are only going to live as long as you're paying for them. (laughs) Your search engine results are going to change constantly based off of the new algorithms that uh, Google are being set up. And other parts of your uh, digital world are not, they just, they don't have the same kind of effectiveness, but a good portion do. Another reason why digital marketing is so appealing is because it has the potential to reach tons of people with a single effort. You upload your website once, hopefully. (laughs) You don't have to keep launching it every single day. Uh, But you upload it once, and suddenly it's available to the entire world 24-7. Your social media channels are available to the entire world 24-7. In other words, unless you've put some sort of lock on the information, the privacy screen, or behind a membership login, or or some other type of uh, barrier, your information is accessible to the public at any time. That's really, really cool. That's a lot of people, a lot of eyeballs looking at your information. It's difficult to think of a print ad, for example, or a direct mail piece, or a radio ad, or a even a television ad, as, as big as television can be, being that accessible for a long period, because it's up there until you take it down. It's great. That's powerful. But before you get ready to kick your traditional marketing program to the curb and say, you know what, you're outdated, I don't need you anymore, Just remember that it's about a multi-channel effort. You're trying to reach people on multiple fronts. Traditional marketing is not dead. Traditional marketing is still very, very much alive. And in some cases, such as direct mail, you may find it more effective than, let's say, an email campaign because you'll have less competition. So digital marketing is part of your overall marketing program. The percentage that it fits in there, if it's 50%, 80%, whatever it may be, entirely depends on your audience and your industry. Who are you trying to reach? What are you trying to achieve? And what is the expectation within your business type? If you're a very uh, advanced technology type company, probably want to embrace more technology. If you're a more traditional type of business, then traditional marketing may be your fit, especially if your audience is older. Not everybody is entirely online. Uh, I have family members who are not very old who on principle are not on social media, refuse to have a social media channel. And the reason for that is privacy. They just do not want their information out there. They don't want to be included. So trying to reach them, even though they are powerful buyers and they are great targets for certain types of products and industries, you would never reach them if your program was 100% social media. This is why we choose multi-channel. Multi-channel across multiple platforms with the mix that has been researched and is a good fit for your buyers. So you know, this is where my buyers are. It's a good fit for your company. It's a good fit for your budget. 
just because it's online, just because it's a little easier does not mean that digital marketing is significantly less expensive. In some cases, it can be extremely expensive. If you're trying to develop a mobile app, for instance, if you haven't put in the time to figure out why somebody would need to use your mobile app, why they would want to use it frequently, and who you're going to keep on staff to constantly maintain it every time a new operating system is released, and check out to make sure there are no bugs anywhere, and that the information is always quick and always uh, very, very effective to use, then it's a waste of money. And just the production of it in the beginning, the the initial investment was so high, and then maintenance on top of that, and there's no return because the the mobile app is not a fit for your buyers or what you put out there has not been researched and planned out well enough to be something that they would want to use. Now, I wish I had the time today to go through all the different digital marketing tools. Unfortunately, time constraints uh, limit what I can discuss right now. I will have, and I promise you, I will have an episode to cover each one of the digital marketing tools in the future. So stay tuned for that. I want to talk about a couple of the high-level marketing tools that really should be part of your marketing program, regardless of what type of business you have. And the first one, of course, is your website. The reason for that is that your website is like a central hub for a lot of different marketing activities. Your ads will have a link link back to your website, uh, both print and digital. You will send people, new prospective buyers, you will send them to your website. In fact, they will investigate you on your website before making a purchase. That's a pretty good bet. Most people do that today. They will find you when they research and look for your like hours and location. They're going to look for you and Google you um, and trying to get that information. So your website is the first place to start. It is where you should invest a lot of effort. This can be time. This can be money. This can be research. It, it should be right. Um, Today's websites, whether you decide to go with uh, a very small, simple, let's say like a brochure, an online brochure that just has basic information, or go into something that's a little bit more interactive that has uh, different tools and um, things like videos and and just other information up there that's going to be a little bit more complicated, just whatever type of website you go into, you have to make sure that it works across multiple screen sizes. And what I mean is it should fit on a mobile screen and be optimized for the mobile screen, as well as laptops, iPads, desktop computers. How you do this is up to you. Uh, You can do this, if you're a smaller business, you can have a site that's what we call responsive, which means it will automatically adjust to those different screen sizes. Or you could go the path of having different websites designed for each individual screen. That's a little bit more expensive and it's much more difficult to maintain because you're going to have to make updates on each one of those sites. So if you're a smaller business, um, even mid-sized businesses, you just may want to have a responsive site that just requires updating once and it automatically is uh, across all the different screen sizes. The look, the style, the layout, and the types of information that you share are based on your business and your buyers. And it's a little bit more than I can go into today. Uh, But what I can say is that you want the site to be professional. This is not a case where a college intern or uh, a young graphic designer or somebody you know who can do some graphic design can put your site together. Remember, this is a very big, very important marketing tool. This is the central hub for all of your other marketing activities. You want it to be a strong tool. You want it to fit with your business. You want it to reflect your brand. And it should be something that looks and feels and has been thought out uh, from a strategic standpoint. So do yourself a favor, invest in a professional website uh, and invest the time in researching the site and make sure that it is a good match. I'll have an episode on websites and I'll bring in an expert on website design to help help with this process because there is much, much more to this than what we can cover right now. Keep in mind that your website is technology. It's based on technology. 
technology is updated. It changes. Styles change. The way we work with technology changes. Your website is not going to live forever. If you're in business long enough, you're going to have multiple websites and you're probably going to launch them every few years or so based off of um, how it was built in the first place. You might be able to get a little bit longer. You may need to change it much more quickly. Uh, It's how it was constructed. I can't really give you that answer. My own firm, CCS Innovations, is about to launch a new website because it's it's time. We need a new one. (laughs) And so it's just a part of business. Keep that in mind and budget for it. The rest of your digital marketing program is going to go back to your goals, what you're trying to achieve through your marketing, what your budget is, and where your buyers are located. If your buyers are, if you've researched and you found your buyers are on social media, and specifically, let's say, Facebook and Instagram, then Facebook and Instagram need to be a big part of your digital marketing program. If you found that you have um, a lot of buyers who are seeking that inbound marketing uh, connection, that where you are giving uh, information away to them, you have, maybe you have a, comp- a complicated product or a service that needs explanation, and you can put that on your website. You can use a blog or you have how-to videos or white papers or infographics. All of these things need to be part of your digital marketing program. Now, I know I promised in last week's episode to cover digital advertising. I found that there's just too much information to fit within this smaller segment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have an entire episode dedicated to digital advertising. Stay tuned. It's going to be coming up soon, and it will cover everything in greater depth. I'll bring in um, an expert on digital advertising, and just we'll go through all the different details of it. I have to take a commercial break. When we come back, I will have global digital marketing expert Bill Barrett with me. You are listening to I Think I Need Marketing. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Looking to grow your business in 2019? You need CCS Innovations. We're an award-winning strategic marketing and design firm working with clients worldwide on achieving their business goals. Whether yours is a startup company or a multinational corporation, our experienced marketing team can help set you on the right path. Our services range from high-level strategies and branding programs to projects such as campaigns and websites. Need more than a single project? We can become your own outsourced marketing department. 2019 marks CCS Innovation's 10th anniversary. And to celebrate, we're offering I Think I Need Marketing listeners a 10% discount on all new projects started this year. Mention the show when you contact us. Start growing your business today by giving us a call at 703-988-7189 or visit us online at ccsinnovations.com, ccsinnovations.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to I Think I Need Marketing. If you have a question or comment for host Bonnie Taylor, please send an email to bonnieradio at ithinkineed.com. That's bonnieradio at ithinkineed.com. Now back to I Think I Need Marketing. Welcome back to I Think I Need Marketing. I'm Bonnie Taylor, and you are listening to Digital Marketing. Today I am joined by special guest, global digital marketing expert, Bill Barrett. Welcome, Bill. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Bonnie. Thanks for uh, inviting me. So, Bill, digital marketing, it is everywhere today. It is almost taking over marketing departments. Uh, It certainly keeps you busy, I'm sure. Absolutely. You know, um, I think about digital marketing as as pretty much marketing these days. If you don't have that skill set or you aren't thinking about digital you might want to reconsider your role. Uh, it's just it's it's just so pervasive and it's so critical. And actually, you know, it's very measurable. So tell me what you think of when you say digital marketing. What does it mean to you? 
Yeah, it's it's actually to me it's more of an ecosystem of different channels and tools and capabilities that you can use to engage different audiences depending on what your your goals are. So if you're obviously trying to sell a product, you want to use it to engage the right customer or potential customer. If you're really trying to promote your brand and you're thinking around a particular topic, you can use it for those types of activities as well. So it's it's you know everything from your website to your email, social, video, audio as in a podcast, <laughs> search marketing, advertising, content marketing, product marketing, you name it, there's a place for it in the digital world and there's a different mix you can use to kind of you know optimize engagement. It's amazing how much it has changed our mindsets and I've been in marketing for 25 years and just thinking back to when I started from then all the way to today, how much marketing has changed. Has your approach changed from the where you started with traditional marketing to digital, how you start your marketing program and how you start your campaigns and individual uh, choices within marketing? Has that changed at all? You know, I, I think in in principle, it's the same. You know, you, you kind of want to start by determining what your goals are. Uh, I think the, the advantage we have, though, with digital is – it's a lot less intuition than it is actually using fact to kind of make some decisions. So, you know, identifying the right audience, identifying what works, you have the ability to do things like A-B testing on subject lines and emails. And, and, you know, you didn't have that ability back in the older times when it was more traditional direct mail, you know, we didn't even know if people opened the envelope. And has that changed as far as your, what you do in your pre-work when your research, uh, how much, time goes into planning for digital when you have all these testing options? Yeah, it depends on, you know, on, on the activity. But like, for example, a larger activity like designing your website, there's a ton of research that goes into that. Everything from, you know, understanding what your client needs are, client behavior, what may have worked in the past and what didn't work, talking to your customers, your end users about what their goals are and how they might use digital to help inform their needs. And then understanding your own business goals and trying to bring all this together in a very, very informed, disciplined approach. It's it's uh, it, it's significant amount of research that gets um, done in the early stages. So it's really important to do that. It's not just going out there th- saying, I think I have an idea. Let's try this. <laughs> it's okay to do experiments, but informed experiments are helpful. Well, surely with budget, especially when things start getting totally. a little bit more expensive, you don't want to throw a lot of money at it. Oh, maybe. What about yeah. pulling in traditional activities like focus groups? Uh, you mentioned, you know, pulling together people for uh, website development. Is that something you use? Yeah, you know, it's um, it's a little less um, about the behind the glass focus group than it may have been in the early stages of, of the web and digital um, because we have so many tools that we can do real time now. So you can actually use comments as one way of kind of understanding people's sentiment towards things. You can use your social media posts to quickly understand how people are engaging with it because they're responding to it a lot of times. So it's almost like you have real time 24 by 7 research available to you in different ways. So, um, and then there's intercept surveys on websites, which we've all experienced. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're <laughs> annoying, but you know, it's just, just those tools are more available. So it doesn't have to be like, let me find 10 people and interview them one by one behind the glass and get their perspective. And, and, you know, hopefully they're the right people and they're not there just for the incentive, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of great opportunities to do more of that on the fly kind of understanding of what works and what doesn't work along with just the success of different campaigns and then and, and trying different versions of the same campaign seeing which one works better how do you go about choosing which type of tool to use uh more so than just the website but let's say do you debate between email and let's say online advertising or how do you go about that choosing yeah i think it's I think it depends on your your goals and your needs and what you're trying to achieve and understanding your audience and sort of like how they engage with things. So, you know, maybe email traditionally has been the technique that people tend to gravitate toward. They can just send it out to a list and, you know, understand the open rate and see who might have clicked through. And that's great, but maybe that's not the best way to engage people. Maybe people tend to do their research on different products and services on their phones and maybe they're doing it while they're traveling on a train or something so you might have to rethink your approach and maybe 
a podcast, for example, could be a good channel to do that with. Or, you know, maybe, you know, some targeted mobile advertising or social advertising might be appropriate because you have a little bit better idea on who the audience is and where they are, what time of the day it is. So, um, you know, just another technique. When you mentioned um, mobile, that brought my attention back to the percentage between desktop and, and let's say, iPads versus mobile itself, strictly mobile. Do you have a, is it trending more toward mobile or is it still a mix, a good mix or? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I, I think maybe it's even five years ago, I, I saw a report from Google that talked about how mobile searches had eclipsed desktop searches. So we knew mobile was obviously on the rise just based on that one statistic. But I think it's more and more, um, you know, mobile and, and mobile in the workplace if you're a B2B mm-hmm. um, marketer it's it's becoming more prevalent it used to be people were sort of locked to their desks and their terminals but now everyone seems to have a portable device whether it's a chromebook or something like that or a a tablet or a phone and a lot of times they're provided by their companies so they're more accessible on those those channels and it just makes it more convenient for a lot of people too so um you really have to make that part of your primary thinking about how to engage with the audience so um, we've we found that you know designing responsive websites alone is not enough. You need to really think about how people might touch and swipe and interact with your content on the different devices. So just because it scales to the screen size doesn't mean you've created a great mobile experience. So it's important. How are you testing that? Are you using heat maps? Or are you using clicks? Or what are, what are you using to test this? Yeah. Yeah, we've added some some different analytics to our you know our capabilities, uh, such as um, looking at scroll rate, how far are people scrolling down the page. Um, certainly, our web analytics allow us to know what devices and what browsers are coming to our website. So that's a good piece of information too to kind of back up your thinking. But you know, in in general, yeah, it's it's interesting if you think about the older days of website design where people designed to be above the fold. That's always a big <laughs> consideration for people. But on mobile, that that kind of Flies in the face of mobile. <laughs> it's all about swiping and scrolling. So, we, yeah, adding those measurements, those kind of trigger points to your web analytics, it, it gives you a better understanding of what's actually happening there. And we're finding more and more people are willing to scroll. And frankly, the uh, next generations of, of business professionals, this is all stuff that they've kind of grown up with. So They're used to it. Yeah. Well, that actually brings a question up to me that um, – and structures of websites have changed, where they used to be just the static, uh, simple with a menu. Now it's the stack that that scrolling stack kind of look, where everything is the on one pa- menu. Yeah, yeah, one page, or or even just uh, and then series of those within like landing pages, and then the the hamburger on it to another section, and it's just like it's you have to almost dive very very deeply into a site just to find the answer that used to be really simple, and now it's like oh we really have to explore it. Uh, do you see that changing, getting uh, or becoming more of a thing in the future? You know, I think the the hamburger menus is a direct correlation to the mobile trend, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you don't have a lot of space. You need to make a really simple, non-intrusive menu. If it had the old traditional drop downs in the top, you'd have a really terrible mobile experience or on a smaller screen. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to stay. I think what we'll see is, as we're already seeing on a lot of sites, is, you know, additional ways to navigate aside from the standard navigation and search, you're going to see more, um, you know, chat bots and voice assisted searches. And, you know, you, you see Google doing a lot of that stuff today, but, you know, in the traditional, more, I don't know, common websites that we use in the business world, for example, it's not being done as much as I think it could be. So I, I expect we'll find different ways to kind of find the content. And and frankly, people don't necessarily find the content by going to your homepage and your site and navigating through the experience as much as they do through searches. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you drop into the middle of a site. So you need to make sure that's a good, there's a good point from there to navigate on and explore the other things your organization has to offer or wants to talk about. So a lot of people kind of think it's linear, but it's really not. I love that you mentioned search because that's a big topic, especially with many business owners. They think, oh, I have to I have to improve my SEO rankings. I have to either pay or have my organic rankings be number one on the you know on the page. Can you discuss that a little bit and the difference between organic and paid and best practices perhaps? You know, it's funny you mentioned the number one thing. That is probably the most common reaction I've gotten from all of my different 
internal clients over the years, like how can we get my product or service or solution to the top of a search result page? And, you know, I want to be there. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation every time because there's so many factors involved. But, you know, we can't discount how important organic search is. We know we can go out and buy keywords. We could bid on keywords. We can purchase advertising. And we can kind of make that, that product stand out a little bit more. But as far as the strength of organic results, I think people tend to still gravitate toward that. And it's very important. So optimizing your content having the right metadata, if you're an international site, using the right uh, href lang tags or attributes to make sure that it's being found in different languages. There's a lot of little things that people could do to really make sure that their basic website or basic content is being found. So yeah, I would not downplay organic search at all. Is something that uh, people should be paying for, like hiring outside agencies to handle, or is it just a best practices or a combination of the two? You know, there's no silver bullet to it, and there's no, like, secret sauce or secret way of kind of figuring this out. We know the algorithms are constantly changing. So it is good to go to experts because they're probably more on top of the trends or the things that you could be doing to improve. It's an ongoing effort. It's not something you can do once and walk away for the next five years. I think we've seen too much change in technology to to recognize you can sit back on that. So I say it it does make sense to bring in experts to help you with that. But a lot of things you can do yourself after you've gotten that assessment. How quickly are the algorithms changing? I mean, is this something that we see every month, every six months? Is it variable? I mean, I think it's, 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 uh, I'm not, and by the way, I'm not an SEO expert. There's plenty mm-hmm. of people out there who probably are, but it does change enough that you need to kind of constantly be reviewing and auditing your code. So, but there's some basic things you can do. You can just make sure that you're minimizing the different scripts on your, on your pages, like the JavaScript, reducing it, using things like tag managers to kind of simplify the, the weight of the pages. Um, another trend too is is making sure that your website is accessible for people who have um, impairments, mm-hmm. and you know making sure that you do that actually gives you SEO value as well. It's not only the right thing to do for your audience because mm-hmm. you know I don't think a lot of companies recognize how important that is, um, but you get the extra benefit is when you clean up that site, you make it tabable, you make it very navigable. Um, the search engine robots can actually crawl your site pretty effectively too and can find things easier. Interesting, interesting. I remember working on a, a big site a few years ago that had that was the big push uh, that because of the, the audience itself needed to have that requirement. And so it was really interesting. What about other technologies that uh, that tie into social media? I'm sorry, search engines. Uh, what else is out there that can help boost rankings? Is it having the blog? Is it having uh, videos out there? Other things that people can do? Yeah, it's always, you know, it's still, there are some basics that are still out there that are important, right? Having inbound links or reciprocal links. So if you have great content and you're referencing other organizations, you know, making sure that it's okay to, to connect to them and and having those kind of reciprocal links, that helps because you're kind of building search equity by leveraging another known um, you know, entity out there. So that's important. I think syndicating your content, getting it out there in other ways too help, helps the more, you know, your, your uh, brand gets out there, the more trustworthy it is perhaps to the search engine. There's just, you know, it, a lot of that is the basic stuff you just need to do to kind of build your brand. But at the same time, it does have that extra benefit. Okay. Well, we're going to have to take a quick commercial break. Uh, When we come back, more on digital marketing. You are listening to I Think I Need Marketing. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Looking to grow your business in 2019? You need CCS Innovations. We're an award-winning strategic marketing and design firm working with clients worldwide on achieving their business goals. Whether yours is a startup company or a multinational corporation, our experienced marketing team can help set you on the right path. 
Our services range from high-level strategies and branding programs to projects such as campaigns and websites. Need more than a single project? We can become your own outsourced marketing department. 2019 marks CCS Innovation's 10th anniversary. And to celebrate, we're offering I Think I Need Marketing listeners a 10% discount on all new projects started this year. Mention the show when you contact us. Start growing your business today by giving us a call at 703-988-7189 or visit us online at ccsinnovations.com, ccsinnovations.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are tuned in to I Think I Need Marketing. If you have a question or comment for host Bonnie Taylor, please send an email to bonnieradio at ithinkineed.com. That's bonnieradio at ithinkineed.com. Now back to I Think I Need Marketing. Welcome back to I Think I Need Marketing. We're talking digital marketing with global digital marketing expert Bill Barrett. Bill, what about budgets? Budgets can be such an important part of marketing. And if you're a smaller business, maybe um, a limiting kind of part of marketing. What are your thoughts on how to make digital marketing work any size business, for any size business? Yeah, it's a challenging uh, topic. And and certainly um, being a big company doesn't always mean you have a big budget available. In fact, a lot of times, depending on your industry, you may actually have very, very limited budgets that, you know, frankly, smaller companies may rival you with. So you have to be just really, really smart about planning, you know, where you want to invest and the types of things that are important to you. So I, I take it back to just understanding your your company's goals and, and mapping your activities that they in direct support of what you're trying to do with your business. So if you're trying to, you know, um, develop more of a sales pipeline, you're trying to generate leads, that's what you should be focusing your activities on. If you're trying to build brand awareness um, on your thought leadership, your thinking, because that's really important to establishing your brand, that's what you should be focusing on. Not trying to do all things, because frankly, unless you're like, I don't know, Apple or some other large <laughs> brand that Coca-Cola. seems to be doing well as far as cash, um, it's really, really going to be a challenge. And you'll never have everything you need to do everything. Uh, so doing the things that are critical and then measuring those things is, is um, really important. And I think the other thing that's really important is planning for things that you may not be aware of, right? So I've learned over the years and gotten hit with some invoices for things that I didn't realize earlier on in the year. For example, if you have uh, in- integration with another platform, so your marketing automation platform is say connected with another platform and it uses an API. Well, there's there's charges sometimes for every time you hit that API at that other site. Really? And those sometimes are hidden costs that you don't consider. And when you get a surprising invoice that you don't have a budget to pay for, um, that's not a good thing. So you try to avoid those things. Um, email marketing too, right? You should understand what's your volume, what's your planned volume. And it's not always about how many things you send out. It's about the quality of those things. So you can be smart about how you, you, you understand how much you want to spend in that area. So it is important to kind of kind of think about these things up er, in front early on in the process as opposed to uh, being surprised later on. How do you prioritize? Uh, are you saying like the website is number one and then after that, how do you prioritize the different marketing tools if a budget is limited? Yeah, I think uh, for, in, in my case, it depends on, you know, the role that I'm in and the company I'm in and the where they are in their business. Mm-hmm. I mean, some companies, email may be the most important channel for them. They mm-hmm. may be just working with their existing customers and really just making sure that they, you know, are keeping them engaged. So that may be the platform they would prefer to um, focus on. So it's not always like one is better than the other. It all depends on what the goal is. So, right, right. How do you track ROI? Are you concerned about views, visits, clicks, leads? I mean, what what is it that really says, oh, this is a successful campaign or this was a successful effort? 
super complex question. <laughs> and um, I made it sound so easy, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, now, obviously, I think if, we, if you're in a consumer-facing world and you have a shopping cart and you understand the value for every transaction, it's a little bit easier to kind of calculate ROI because <laughs> people are actually completing something and you know they bought it or they didn't. Um, in the B2B world, a little harder when sort of the sales process could be like months right. or in some cases years. Right. So at that point, the way we measure it is to kind of understand the value of different touch points throughout the sort of the sales and marketing cycle. So understanding if somebody downloads a white paper, you know, score that and, and give it a value. If someone engages and watches a video, score that activity. And then when you get to a point where you're starting to see a lot of different interactions with some of your high value content and you see a pattern that it's the same topic, you can kind of think about that as a, as a potential lead. And then that moves into the more traditional sales cycle. Someone takes it and runs with it and follows up with the, uh, the company saying, we noticed this has been very interesting to you. you. We see that you're very involved in our content. Can we help you? Can you answer any of your questions? And, uh, you know, and then from there, if it does close, you can at least say this event they went to, this white paper they downloaded and this video they watched contributed to that. And over time, you might be to start to assign sort of a numerical value, but a dollar value is really hard. So ROI is, is that kind of fuzzy area that I, I think it's it's not always uh, as straightforward as people may like to think. Your CFO probably wants you to sign a dollar value to every, everything you do on the web and not always – something you can do easily. Well, full disclosure, it's my least favorite question, but one I, I receive quite a bit, and so I pawned it off oh, on I you. It. I get it every day. Yeah. Just, it's like, there, there really is no easy answer to this one. I just threw it at you. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but, you uh, know, making informed approaches and understanding high-value activities and, and then showing that it actually correlates to, a, you know, a, eventually a, a sale and helped contribute to that effort, I think that is, is pretty valuable. But once again signing a dollar value is always the hard part. <laughs> my, my easy answer is I track po- profitability. Uh, you know, where, where are the profits? If it's growing and the area is growing and we're pushing in that area, it's okay. That's the that's the short answer. Getting into the details, like you said, is, is super complex. Um, what about uh, adopting new technologies? Because digital marketing is ever-changing. How quickly do you adopt new things? Do you wait a while? Do you make sure that you're, I mean, obviously you want to make sure your buyers are using it first, but do you wait to make sure that it's going to stick around or even if it's going to be effective? Yeah, I'm not that guy. I'm the I'm the person who likes to adopt things really quickly. I mean, okay. if you looked around my house, you'd see ours, there's pretty much just about everything is connected through the internet of things. <laughs> um, and I'm always trying to, to experiment and try new things. Now, introducing that in the workplace is not always easy because you have to convince a lot of people to, to make those kind of uh, jumps or leaps of faith. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to be out there experimenting. It doesn't mean you have to, like, convert your whole company over to a new process, but you should pilot things. And if it works, um, you know, introduce it later on. But um, an example for me is I actually had previously worked for a large financial services firm, and I I was asked to build a new website by the CMO, and I had just joined the company, didn't know a whole lot about the company, but I knew that the current internal capabilities were not good. So our, the IT investments weren't there, and we needed to kind of reevaluate a lot of things. So I recommended that we build everything in the cloud, and apparently that was not a great idea at a bank. <laughs> at least it wasn't perceived initially as a great idea. But once we did all the evaluations and I got the IT folks to review things and the technology folks um, sat down with some of the large cloud providers, which we we all know, uh, we probably shop on their websites. Um, <laughs> and and uh, essentially, you know, it's it's a pretty strong argument why it made more sense, not just financially, but technologically, because... Um, these cloud-based pr- platforms allow your website performance to be like optimized around the world. And we were a global company, global organization, and we had heard that performance on our website was poor in places like India and China and Australia because everything was hosted in the U.S. So going to a cloud provider allowed us to do something really different and create a really great, powerful user experience that was also performing well globally. 
So to me, there's a lot of brand value there too. Like if you're trying to expand your brand globally, but you have a really poor performing web experience, it's not going to help. Right. But if you can kind of uh, give them the great experience and make it perform optimally, there's a lot of value there. And at the same time, you know, you outsource something to people that actually really know what they're doing and, and really know how, how to do it well. So um, I, that's an experiment and, you know, an innovative use of technology that actually, you know, paid off very well. There's always that fails too, you know. (laughs) Definitely want to talk about those, but I want to point out that um, in marketing, uh, especially with a uh, within a company, if you're internal marketing, part of the job is marketing to the company itself. (laughs) You're constantly like trying to convince them and trying to push a, a new idea. So it's like a dual role: your internal and external marketing. But yes, let's talk about some fails. <laughs> what can you share? Yeah, so, you know, my, you know, and, and I, I guess I can't really, I don't want to say it's a complete fail. I mean, I learned a lot through this process and, um, and I still think there's, this is going to happen someday. But, you know, a few years ago, I was working for a large organization and working on a GTLD strategy. So I don't know if you recall the, the branded domains where you could have mm, dot mm-hmm. whatever your company name is. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there was a lot of you know concern about that, a lot of controversy, whether this is something that's good or bad. But I felt, and I still do to some extent, that, that it's a good idea, um, especially in the world of you know um, cybersecurity, by having a dot company or dot brand kind of uh, domain you're basically saying this is authentic and you'll have less people redirecting traffic to some other, you know, site that seems like yours and it's really not. And they're, you know, basically phishing you. And Mm -hmm. so there's a a lot of opportunity to kind of use this as as a security thing. And at the same time, it's a good way to kind of differentiate your brand. And and, and, um, unfortunately, that only took off in some small areas and didn't really take off at the company level as much as I thought it would. So I pushed really hard for that. We got funding to go ahead and, and move ahead with that. And uh, it was implemented, but not at a large scale because ultimately it was expensive. Right. I mean, keep right. To, you know, you're basically building, you know, <laughs> an environment that's really pricey and, and heavy to maintain. And, and frankly, I don't think the world was ready from a technology standpoint to kind of adopt that at, at the company level. Certainly small business would never be able to do that. Right, but right. I still think down the road, there's there's room for that. And, you know, but right now people love their .com. It's not going away. It's easy. <laughs> it's easy to remember. Yeah. Yep. Anything else? <laughs> any, you know, other, I, I, any other lessons you've learned from your vast uh, experience within digital marketing? Uh, I could talk a lot about how, <laughs> how, how, um, how difficult it is sometimes to kind of, you know, to, to launch new projects and get them undone, done on time. I mean, that's one thing you always need to plan for is right. make sure when you're thinking about doing a new initiative, whether it's building a website or la- launching a new capability, is just making sure you built enough time for what we talked about before, socializing within your company, getting right. people to, to buy into it. Lots because if you don't have that, yeah, that advocacy, it, it, it's really difficult to get people to kind of make the change that is required to kind of capitalize on these things. I mean, half the battle of rolling out a new marketing technology is adoption and, and the, the transformation of the way we do things. And it's, um, it's not digital transformation for digital transformation's sake. It's transforming people's mindsets and their approaches. And that's the hardest thing. How much, at time, least in my- how much time do you budget for uh, a new technology? Once again, it depends on the product, the vendor. If it's fully cloud-based, I mean, it's amazing how quickly you can launch something. So, uh, you know, you, you can do things in a couple weeks sometimes. If it's internal and you need internal servers and you need IT to be involved from security reviews and vendor reviews and, you know, on-site inspections, it could take you a year to launch something. So, um, yeah, it depends on, you know, what you're actually doing. But you do need to factor that in into your thinking. and. That's why I'm personally a big proponent of using cloud-based services because you eliminate a lot of that and you just kind of can get to what you want to do as a marketer. And uh, that's what we're here for, to be marketers, not to get caught up in rolling out technical products. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, and process. I know what you're saying. <laughs> what about the future? What are you seeing? Um, is there anything that's coming out in the near future that we can be excited about? You know, um, 
I think there's always something coming out, and I think that's why you just need to kind of pay attention. I mean, I, I always recommend, you know, webinars or if you're in a large city, being able to go to conferences and learn about what's happening. And, you know, I'm really excited about, you know, automation and AI and the role that that's playing in helping marketers make better and quicker decisions. I mean, I, I was at a conference, um, I guess it was a little over a year ago, and when you're thinking about things like image selection for your website, well, you know, there's some great AI tools out there that help you pick the best, probably most effective image to engage a certain type of audience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's fantastic and mm-hmm. really helpful because you're not necessarily leaning on a graphic designer down the hall who's saying, yeah, I like this image. I think this right. would be great. Right, right, right. Um, it's actually got some data to inform whether it's actually effective or not. Um, those types of changes, I think, are really, really cool, and they just help us do what we're doing, you know, more effectively. And actually, it's it's fun sometimes, too, which is important. Um, I think we have to be careful about getting too caught up, though, into automation and robotics and all that, and, and not forget there's a human element to what we do as right. well. So I guess I'll give you a good example. I, I love YouTube, and I'm always watching, like, how to do type of things, you know, I've, whether it's fixing a motorcycle or working on your house or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm always disappointed when I get a robotic machine um, voice that's kind of narrating the video. It just, it's so cold and so uninspiring and um, frankly I find it a turn off so I, I still think having the human element there having the person who I either shot the video or did the activity narrated themselves even if they're not comfortable in that environment is better than a machine doing it so I just I think we can't lose that human connection to what we're doing I like that. And it, it makes sense because it, it's how we would converse with, you know, other people, how we learn. We don't learn from robots. We learn from each other. So I love it. Well, unfortunately, we're up against the clock and I would love to give people a way to uh, reach out to you and ask any questions. Sure. I mean, they can find me either on LinkedIn or on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is at WJ Barrett. Um, it's uh, I'm happy to kind of uh, connect with anyone who wants to connect with me and and share ideas and exchange thoughts on different things in digital marketing. This is my passion, and hopefully that came across today. It absolutely did, and you're such a wealth of knowledge, and I really, really appreciate your being here today. I have to have you back because there's clearly much more we can cover in the future. Uh, But thank you so much for your time. This has been wonderful. Anytime, Bonnie. Thank you so much. That's all for today's episode. I'm reminding you to subscribe to this show on iTunes so you get the next episode automatically delivered to your phone. You may also send me questions at bonnieradio at ithinkineed.com. That's bonnie, B-O-N-N-I-E, radio at ithinkineed.com. You've been listening to I Think I Need Marketing. Thank you for listening to I Think I Need Marketing. Be sure to join Bonnie Taylor for another episode next Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, think of what you could be doing differently in your marketing program.